Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Is anybody ready to dive into the Word of God today? Anybody like that? All right, about 33% today. So hopefully we can get there, the rest. Anybody else ready to dive into God's Word today? Okay, all right. Hey, we can get excited about all kinds of things. Some of you are going to be excited about the football games taking place later on today. I think we could be excited in God's house. I remember growing up, people would always say that. I would say, come on, you know, can't we be excited about both? Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be. And we're going to start reading verse number 1. If you need a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And most of the verses will be on the screen as well today. But Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 1, the Bible says this. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become as saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no, no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye partakers, therefore, with them. Verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. For a few minutes today, I'd like to speak to this subject. Watch your step. Watch your step. In fact, everybody kind of give your neighbor a little nudge, wake him up for a second and say, watch your step. Let's have a word of prayer together and we'll dive in. Father, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our church. God, thank you for the lives that have been changed and for the work that you've been doing over the last several weeks with salvations and baptisms. And God, we recognize that this is your doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. God, we know that it's not about us, but it is all about you and your glory. And so, Lord, I pray that we would live to that end. And God, today as we continue this series, Note to Self, and as we're studying this uh, book of Ephesians, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate this text for us and work uh, in our hearts and reveal uh, that our true identity is in you and that we would understand what the practical implications of that are. And I pray that we would leave this place differently because your word has spoken to us. And we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said this morning, how many of you have ever tripped and taken a hard fall? Anybody like that? You tripped and took a hard fall? Uh, this past uh, Easter at Rock Hill was an amazing uh, weekend as a church. We had eight different services on Easter weekend, and we had so many people pray to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. And one of my favorite parts about this past Easter was we had so many baptisms that day. And if you were here on Easter Sunday, I think we had 10 people uh, get baptized on Easter Sunday. And it was kind of just fun going in and out of the services and people getting baptized in the lobby. And, and uh, inevitably, whenever we have baptisms, there's always water all in the lobby that you got to kind of watch out for. And I remember we were getting ready. I think it was the fourth service of the day. And I was coming in and getting ready for that last service. And I was kind of walking nonchalantly. And I wasn't paying attention to where I was going. And I slipped on the water that was in the lobby. And I can't really describe exactly what my body did, but I know that my right leg went straight up into the air and uh, my left 
uh, leg went down and it landed directly on my knee and I took a very hard fall right there in the lobby. Now, thankfully, I'm not going to sue the church, so we're going to be okay on that end. But there were some ladies that were laughing at me in the lobby, and they were mocking their pastor. So be in prayer for them, okay, as, as they're growing in their, in their walk with the Lord. Sarah's sitting on the front row today. And uh, I remember uh, falling, and uh, man, uh, that hurt in that moment. You know, we come to Ephesians chapter 5, and it's a new chapter in our study in the book of Ephesians. And the Apostle Paul who's writing this chapter. He has one overwhelming message, and that message is this. Watch your step. In fact, three different times in this letter, Paul says, walk this way. Three different times he says, walk like this, walk this way, walk according to this manner. Uh, Paul is trying to get us to understand that a follower of Jesus should walk a certain way. See, spiritually speaking, your walk is your conduct. It's the way that you carry yourself. It's the way that you uh, conduct your life. And so he's saying, walk this way. Now, if you wanted to divide and outline the book of Ephesians in a very simple way. This is how you would outline the book of Ephesians. Anybody interested in that this morning? This is how you would do it. Uh, the first two chapters you would describe as our wealth, our wealth. Uh, the fact that uh, at the moment of salvation, God has blessed us and he has given us an inheritance and he has given us riches in glory by, by Christ Jesus. And so uh, we have our, our wealth. And that's something, by the way, that we should be thankful for and we should be excited about that. At the moment of salvation, he has blessed us beyond all measure. How many of you recognize the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus today? And so we have our wealth. And then, in the middle of the book of Ephesians, we have our walk. This is where it gets really practical. This is how you should carry yourself. This is how you should conduct yourself. And so we have our wealth, we have our walk, and then we're going to see in chapter 6, we have our warfare. Can I remind you that the Christian life is not a game to be played, but it's a war to be waged? And now we're not just here playing games. We are here and we are enlisted as soldiers in God's army to fight the good fight of faith. And so that's the book of Ephesians in a nutshell. We have our wealth, we have our walk, and we have our warfare. Well, this morning in chapter 5, we're going to be right in the middle of this section on our walk. And he's talking about how we should conduct and carry ourselves and in, in, uh, our manner of life. Now, physically speaking, it's easy to measure your walk. Uh, how many of you are step counters? You have a Fitbit or an iPhone or something like that, and you can kind of count your steps. How many of you would say, I count my steps or I pay attention to that? Can I see your hands? All right, 12 of you. How many of you would say, I don't do that? I don't count at all. Okay. And so sometimes it's kind of fun to kind of look at your phone. And you can kind of see how many steps you've taken, right? Wow, I took 14,000 steps today. And wow, I walked this many miles and I stood for 10 hours today or whatever. You, know, you can see all of those metrics and you can kind of measure uh, those different things. Well, the question that I want us to consider for a few minutes today is how do we do that spiritually? How do we measure our walk spiritually? Wouldn't it be nice at the end of the day if you could pull out your phone and there was like a spiritual app where you could see, wow, I took 2,000 sanctification steps today. And, and wow, I had 15,000 kindness points today. I'm just killing it. And uh, we could measure our walk. I don't know about you, but I like to measure things. I like to track things. And sometimes because we don't know if we're walking in the right direction or how am I growing and how am I progressing. Well, that's exactly what Paul is going to talk about in Ephesians chapter 5. He's going to tell us how we can measure and monitor and track our spiritual walk. Now, to lay a foundation to kind of understand where we're going, I want us to read one verse in the chapter, verse number 1. If you can see it, would you say amen? amen. Verse number 1, it says this. Be ye therefore followers of God... As dear children, be ye therefore followers of God 
as dear children. The word follower in verse number one means to imitate. It means to mimic, to emulate. And so we don't just follow in observing. We follow in emulating. We pattern our lives after God. Uh, There's a lot of people that I might follow on social media for information, but that doesn't mean that I'm following them for imitation. How many of you know the difference today? Now, when it comes to God, he is our ultimate example, and we are called to be followers, to be imitators of God. By the way, that would adequately describe succinctly the Christian life. You know what the Christian life is about? Be an imitator, a mimic of God. Be a follower of God. And then he says, as dear children. Now, it's very important to be a student of the word of God and to pay attention and to read the text over and over again. And he says, be followers of God as dear children. He doesn't say to become dear children. Now, that's an important distinction. In other words, we don't follow after God and we don't emulate our life after God in order that we could become his children. We do it and we follow God and imitate God because we already are his children. I'm thankful today that we are saved by grace and through faith. And it's not about our merit and what we bring to the table and our walk and our conduct. That is not what earns our salvation. I'm so thankful today that it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's according to his mercy that he saves us. And so we want to follow God and imitate God as dear children. How many of you know that children are like sponges? They just learn and observe and glean and and listen and emulate. And so that's what we're supposed to do when it comes to our relationship with God. We want to listen and learn and glean and emulate our lifestyle, not after the world, but after what we learn about God and in our relationship with him uh, through his word. And so today, we're going to talk about this in Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to learn how we can walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. And so if you want to take notes... I want to give us three ways that we can emulate our walk after Jesus. Would that be all right today? Three ways we can emulate our walk after Jesus. Number one, walk in love. Notice verse number two. It says this in our text, and walk in love. I love it when my sermon points just come directly from scripture, right? It's just, how am I going to outline this text? Oh, walk in love. There it is. Number one, walk in love. As Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And so the first thing that the Apostle Paul says is if we're going to walk like Jesus walked, we must walk in love. Jesus demonstrated the, the greatest love that the world has ever known, and we are to emulate this kind of love? The Bible says in 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. And he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Now, what we have tragically done in our culture today is we have reduced Christianity to a list of do's and don'ts. Here's a list of rules and regulations, and that's what Christianity is all about. But here's the reality. Christianity has never been about creating a list Christianity has always been about concentrating on love. Jesus says, what are the greatest commandments? Let's boil down all the 600-some commandments of the Old Testament. Let's boil them down to two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. 
And so we have to recognize that God has called us to walk in love. And if you'll notice in verse number two, he, he, he describes how Jesus uh, gave his life for us. And this was a sacrifice that was a sweet smelling savor unto the Lord. In other words, the sacrifice of Jesus was well-pleasing to God the Father. Why? True love always requires sacrifice. True love is not convenient. True love is not calculated. True love will always cost you something. Uh, true love requires a sacrifice, and Jesus sacrificed his life for us. I love what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Watch this. Please don't miss this. For consider him. Every once in a while, you need to pause in your life and consider him. When you are doubting, when you are hurting, when you are insecure, when you're anxious, when you're confused, pause and consider him. Think about what Jesus has done for you. By the way, next Sunday is Praise and Thanks Sunday, and a part of that is we're going to be taking a communion together. Why? We want to pause and consider him. We want to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Watch this phrase. Lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So many people are tired. They are exhausted. They are overextended. They are growing weary and well-doing. And uh, they're just mentally exhausted. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is, hey, when you come to a point of exhaustion in your life or when you come to a point when you are overwhelmed, pause and consider him and remember just how much Jesus loves you and that he went to the cross for you. This is something that we never ought to get over, that we should always celebrate and be thankful for the love that God has for us. And when we truly understand and recognize the love that God has for us, we can then emulate that love to a lost and dying world that needs to know about his love. True love is always costly. You know, we live in an increasingly impersonal culture. Have you noticed this? That we are constantly distancing ourselves from people. And often we are called to be neighborly, but we're not very neighborly because we're living in a culture where human interaction is often limited. We have self-checkout lanes at the grocery store where we don't have to interact with anyone. Uh, we have even drone deliveries nowadays where if you want to uh, get something to your house, you don't even have to talk to the delivery man. You can just have a drone come and drop it off right in front of you. The other day we were eating at Chick-fil-A. And there was a little robot that wheeled right on up next to us. And we were supposed to put our trays on this little robot at Chick-fil-A. Can I tell you, Chick-fil-A is trying to take over the world with robots coming in. And, uh, and uh, if you haven't seen it, they're coming, right? And uh, this little robot came. Uh, in so many ways, human interaction is becoming more and more limited. But be careful in a world where human interaction is limited, that you don't grow cold and calloused towards the people that Jesus died for. Often, people can irritate us, and so we want to remove ourselves further from people. But when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Often, when we see the multitudes, we're moved with frustration. But Jesus was moved with compassion. We are called to walk in love. Now, that doesn't mean that you like everybody. How many of you have ever met someone that you didn't like? Anybody like that? Don't point to them in the room today, but there's all kinds of people that we've probably met that we don't, don't hit your spouse this morning, Frank. That is not good. We're going to have marital counseling afterwards today, okay? I saw that, okay, in my peripheral. And uh, we have to make sure that we are walking in love. It doesn't mean that we like everyone, but we're called to love every person. If there's anyone that kind of demonstrated this kind of love, there was a missionary 
and her name was Amy Carmichael, and she was a missionary in India, and she loved her uh, children that she ministered to, and she started orphanages and, and, and a foundation, and, and uh, she rescued so many little girls specifically from human trafficking and just did a great work for the Lord. And when she was getting ready to pass away, Amy Carmichael requested, I don't want any, any stone to be put on my grave. But the children that she ministered to that loved her so much and she loved them so much, they decided that they were going to put a bird bath on her grave. And so they put this bird bath thing. We have a picture today. And there's one word that they put on it, Ama, which means mother. And I believe that Amy Carmichael lived up to her statement when she said, one can give without loving, but one cannot love without giving. See, God has called us to be followers of him, to be imitators of him, and to do that, we must walk in love. Sometimes this means forgiving. Sometimes this means being patient. Uh, Sometimes it means sharing the gospel with someone, but we are called to walk in love. Here's the second thing today. We're called to walk in light. So we walk in love, but then we have to walk in light. Notice what our text says. Let's skip to verse number eight, and we'll come back to verse three. But notice verse number eight. It says this. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk. Everybody say walk. Walk as children of light. Do you see how Paul is just staying on theme here? Walk in love. Now verse number eight, walk in light. Also, did you notice in verse number eight? He didn't say you were sometimes walking in darkness. He said you were sometimes darkness. You were the darkness. And then he didn't say now you're walking in light. He says now you are the light. What was he speaking to? Our identity. That, that we are no longer darkness, but now we are light. And so we should live according to our new identity and, and no longer associate with the darkness of the world, but walk in the light of the Lord. And so walk in light. Walk in love. Walk in light. Now, if you are serious about walking in light, if you want to obey this command that we see in Scripture, I believe that there are three ways in which we can do this in the text. And so uh, this is a very practical message today. It's a very practical uh, section of Scripture. And so I believe that there are three ways that we can walk in the light. Are you ready for them? The first way that we can walk in the light is we have to control our desires. We have to control our desires. Paul's going to talk here about kind of an uncontrolled appetite. It's kind of a fleshly appetite where it's just, I want what I want. And I want you to see how he's going to talk about our desires in verse number three. Notice it, verse three. He says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. So he says, don't, this is a picture of walking in darkness. A follower of Jesus, a saint, shouldn't walk this way in fornication, uncleanness, or covetousness. Now, there are three words there that I think are important to define and to unpack. The first word in verse number three is the word fornication. The word fornication comes from the Greek word porneia, which is where we get our word pornography. The word fornication means any sexual sin outside of God's design and definition of marriage, which is one man, one woman for a lifetime. We see this in God's order, in his design, in Genesis chapter 2. That might not be popular today, but we have to ask ourselves, am I going to pursue my desires, or am I going to pursue God's design? Because it's God's design that leads to human flourishing. Marriage was his idea. And so fornication is any sexual activity outside of God's definition of marriage. That's fornication. The second word there is uncleanness. And if you were here last week, we saw this word as well. And again, it's a word that speaks to sexual sin. And so Paul's kind of hammering this home and talking about sexual sin. Why was he doing this? Because if you study the ancient city of Ephesus, they were a messed up city that were entangled in sexual sin. 
just like our culture today, just like our world today. Uh, we live in a culture that is consumed with, uh, with sexual activity. And um, recently, our, the um, Speaker of the House that was just elected, he happens to be a Christian, and uh, in the news, they were uh, highlighting the story and kind of mocking and belittling him because they found out that he had this internet blocker on his, on his phone to block out any um, inappropriate activity online for him and his son to kind of hold each other accountable. Well, when the news media found out about this, they mocked this and twisted it and made it perverted and twisted it around. Uh, any normal, logical thinking person, even that, someone that's not a Christian, would understand what he's doing is respectable. But in a twisted and perverted culture, in a skewed culture, what he's doing is laughable. Because any attempt to have a, a moral standard by which we live is something that our culture completely rejects. And we have to recognize today that if we're going to walk in light, uh, we have to control our desires. That we're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh, but we're going to walk in the spirit. And we're going to walk in the light that God has called us to walk in. And so he says, uh, you need to control your desires. He, he, he says the word covetousness in that verse. Notice verse number three. You still with me today? But fornication and uncleanness or covetousness, the word covetousness means wanting something you can't have, pursuing pleasure, pursuing our desires. Now, is it okay if I teach for a second this morning? There's an extreme, and we have to understand the balance of living in the middle of this, but on one side of the equation, you have what's called asceticism. Asceticism is when I'm going to deny myself of any sort of pleasure. Uh, anything that feels good or tastes good or looks good, I, I'm going to deny myself of that because I want to live, you know, uh, the straight and narrow. And so I'm going to deny myself of any pleasure, and uh, that is called asceticism. The problem with that is Paul told Timothy, God has given us all things richly to enjoy, uh, that God wants us to experience joy and pleasure in his design. And so you have asceticism, denying any sort of pleasure. On the flip side of that, on the other extreme side, you have what's called hedonism. Hedonism is where we say, you know, I'm just going to pursue pleasure with everything that I have. If it tastes good, I'm going to do it. If it feels good, I'm going to do it. If it's pleasurable, I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to live for me and my happiness, and that's the only thing that matters. Now, in our culture today, not a lot of people are struggling with asceticism, but a lot of people are struggling with hedonism, where I'm just going to do what I want to do, and that is covetousness. Uh, wanting something that we can't have, letting our desires control us rather than controlling our desires. Uh, I love this verse in Proverbs that talks about the balance of this. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse number 8, it says, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Watch this. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. I just want to have enough for today. I want to be content with the food that you've given me today. What would happen if the church started to have that mindset where, hey, it's not about me getting everything that I want in life and it's all about me and my happiness and what I desire and my pleasure. But, hey, I, I just want to be content in Jesus because, by the way, Jesus is enough. He's enough. And so uh, he is warning against these uncontrolled desires. So uh, we have to control our desires if we're going to walk in the light. Second, if we're going to walk in the light, we have to control our tongue. How many of you have ever said something stupid? Can I see your hands? All right, some of you that didn't raise your hand, that's called lying in the house of God. Okay, we'll talk about that next week. We all say things that we wish we didn't say. And Paul here is going to talk about controlling our tongue. Notice what it says in verse number four. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving them thanks. Now, foolish talking doesn't mean innocent humor. 
Okay, so he's not talking about cracking a good joke. Okay, he's, he's talking about crude humor. In fact, the word jesting in verse number four has an interesting definition. The word jesting means this, to be able to turn easily. To be able to turn easily. And what the Apostle Paul is talking about is someone that in a conversation can turn any conversation into an innuendo can take any innocent speech and pollute that innocent speech. Someone that's able to turn something easily, that's jesting. And Paul said there ought to be some spiritual maturity in the way that we talk. Uh, We can't just uh, uh, fulfill our desires and the lust of our flesh and then uh, be characterized by foolish talking and jesting. But then he gives an alternative at the end of verse number four. He says, but rather the giving of thanks. Now there's a novel idea for followers of Jesus to be grateful people to be thankful people, and not just on Thanksgiving, but every day of the year to thank the Lord for what he has done for us. We're trying to teach our kids gratitude. We're trying to teach them to be thankful. And uh, and so a lot of times we'll say, go say thank you. Did you say thank you? Say thank you. And sometimes if they say thank you, I will respond by saying thank you for saying thank you. And then they will say thank you for saying thank you for saying thank you. And then I keep pause it right there because I don't want to go on forever. We're trying to instill within our children gratitude. Here's the reality. We live in a world where it's so easy to complain. In fact, I saw online uh, several months ago that there was this whole article teaching consumers how to complain to get what they want. And so if you want to go into a fast food restaurant or you want to go into a retail store and you want to make sure that you can get what you want, here was this whole lesson on how to complain, how to be an expert complainer. Uh, By the way, we don't need an article to teach us how to do that. We're pretty good all on our own. But what would happen in a culture where it's so easy to complain, it's so easy to be negative, it's so easy to be cynical, it's so easy to get bitter. What would happen if some followers of Jesus decided, hey, we're going to be thankful and we're going to recognize that God has been so good to us and every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. I don't want to be characterized by my complaints. I want to be characterized by my celebration of God's goodness. He says, hey, uh, control your tongue and don't give in to foolish talking and jesting, but rather be thankful. Gratitude will alter the atmosphere of your life. You are surrounded by negativity. You're surrounded by cynicism. You're surrounded by uh, just uh, something that is bringing you down. Watch what happens if you instill gratitude into your life and be thankful for what God is doing in your life. Now, notice verse number five of our text. It says, For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, Have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. How many of you would say today, verses 5 and 6 are sobering verses? Would you agree? They should sober us. I mean, let's read verse number 5 again if you missed it. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. That should sober you. Because if you're like me, there's probably been a time in your life when you coveted after something. There's probably been a time in your life when you elevated something above God and made it an idol in your life. And he says that for idolaters and the covetous, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. And so we ought to pay attention to this verse and say, okay, what does this mean? Well, one commentator, Kent Hughes, he provides a helpful explanation of this verse. He says, do Christians fall into these sins? Of course. But true Christians will not persist in them, 
For persistence in sensuality is a graceless state. In other words, there is a difference between struggling with certain sins and committing to a lifestyle of sin. Are you tracking with me today? There's a diff- All of us are going to struggle with sin. There's a difference with struggling with a sin and committing to a lifestyle of unrepentant sin where I'm going to identify, I'm going to associate with this uh, behavior. And so uh, he says, hey, uh, be careful, examine yourself. Notice verse number seven. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. All right, now, this leads us to our third thing that we have to control. So we control our desires. uh, We control our tongue. Now, thirdly, we control our partnerships. So what he's going to say in verse number seven is don't be partakers with them. Uh, Be very careful about your partnerships. See, sometimes it's not our actions, it's our associations that lead to our downfall. He says, don't be partakers with them. Be very careful about who you associate with. Sometimes we think, well, I'm going to bring that person up. And in an attempt to bring that person up, they end up bringing you down. And so be very careful about the alliances that you make and the associations that you make. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 33 says this, be not deceived Okay, so, so be on guard. Don't, don't be lied to. Don't lie to yourself. Don't be deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Evil partnerships corrupt even good intentions. And so you might have the best intentions in the world, but you might have the best intentions, but you get around the wrong people, and it'll corrupt those good intentions. Be careful about your associations. Notice verse 8. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are ye the light in the Lord. Walk then as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is that acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful darkness, but rather reprove them. Now, he says, don't have fellowship with darkness, but rather reprove them. Jesus was a friend of publicans and sinners. He was a friend of sinners. But Jesus was also not afraid to reprove them. Remember when Jesus was eating with the publicans and sinners and he said, hey, uh, they that are whole need not a physician. In other words, I'm in here with the sick people. Uh, Jesus was not afraid to reprove them. So, So please hear me. As followers of Jesus, we should have friends that are lost. We should have friends that don't know the Lord. How else are we gonna reach them? And so we should have friends that are lost, But there is a difference between evangelizing the culture and colonizing to the culture. Evangelizing the culture says, I love you. I want to share the gospel with you. I want to to tell you how much Jesus loves you. And so we associate uh, in order to share the gospel. That's evangelizing the lost. But colonizing to the culture says, I just want you to like me. I don't want to step on anyone's toes, and so I'm going to associate with you, uh, not even to reprove you, but to just kind of blend in. And here's what Paul is saying. If we're going to walk in the light, we have to be very careful about the partnerships that we make. Now, notice uh, the next verse in verse number 12. Everybody still with me this morning? Verse 12. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret, secret, secret sins, in darkness that nobody knows about. But all things that are approved are made manifest, they're made known by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. The light has a peculiar way of exposing the darkness. And he says, hey, there might be some things that are going on in secret, 
But you need to be careful because the light will illuminate the darkness. The Bible says in Numbers, be sure your sin will find you out. Sometimes we can think, I'm walking in darkness and I'm not hurting anyone. No one, no one knows. But he's saying, hey, be careful. The light will make manifest that which is done in the dark. So he's giving this warning. But then he says in verse number 14, he, he continues on in this warning. And notice what he says in verse 14 as the warning continues. He says, wherefore he saith, awake. Everybody say, awake. awake. He's saying, awake. In fact, many commentators and Bible writers say that, that what he's about to quote was an early hymn in the early church. That they were celebrating the resurrection. Uh, awake. Thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. He's saying, wake up, awake. There's two types of people in this room. The first category is those that when they hear their alarm clock in the morning, they get up right away and they're ready to go. How many of you would say, I fall into that category? Yep, they shoot their hands up so quickly, right? Then the second category is those that they hear their alarm and they hit the snooze button 17 times. How many of you are in that category, right? I'm just going to keep on uh, hitting the snooze button. Uh, when I was in junior high, I struggled to wake up in the mornings. And my mom would always get frustrated with me and my brother. My brother and I, we shared a room. And uh, he would always want to sleep in. I would always want to sleep in. And we didn't hold each other accountable in that area. So uh, we were sleeping in. And my mom would get frustrated with us. And she would try all kinds of different things to wake us up. And the most effective thing that she did was she had this spray water bottle that she used on our cat. And she had this cat that would claw the couch. And anytime the cat would claw the couch, she would spray that cat with a water bottle. Well, my mom would use that on us in the morning when she wanted to wake us up. She would come and just spray us in the face with that water bottle. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it is not a pleasant way to wake up. And I don't know who hated that water bottle more, the cat or me, but that, that's what my mom would use. She would just kind of spray us uh, in the face to wake us up, uh, trying to get our attention. I believe that Paul is trying to get our attention. I believe the Holy Spirit is trying to get our attention. Don't fall asleep at the wheel spiritually. He's saying, you might need to wake up today. You might be dabbling in sin that is about to destroy your marriage. And you need to wake up. You might be traveling down a road that will lead to devastation. And it's time to wake up. Stop walking in the darkness, but, but recognize that we are called to walk in the light. And there ought, to be, there ought to be some people that would say, we need to wake up to the fact that sin is destroying lives. And we need to wake up to the fact that people need the good news of the gospel. We need to wake up to the fact that God has a good plan for our lives. Hey, we can't just go through the motions spiritually. It's another Sunday in November. So what? How is this going to apply to our lives Monday morning? How are we going to be different Tuesday morning? How are we going to reach people this Wednesday afternoon? See, Paul's saying, wake up. What are we doing here? We cannot have fellowship with darkness. We can't walk in the dark. We have to walk in the light of God's word. So he says, walk in love. Walk in light. Here's the third thing today will be done. Walk in wisdom. We have to walk in wisdom. Now, before I read the verse, we desperately need wisdom in our church. We desperately need wisdom in our culture. Because as we are walking, make no mistake about it, the devil is also walking as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil wants to mess up your life. The devil does not care about you. He doesn't care about your marriage. He doesn't care about your children. And when you decide to follow Jesus, there's a target on your back. And so what we need then is wisdom so that we can know how to navigate the days in which we are living. 
We can't just kind of just go through life and be susceptible to the temptations of the world and to the content that we consume. We have to be vigilant. We have to walk circumspectly. Notice what it says in verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. What is he saying? Watch your step. Be careful. It's just like uh, the word circumspectly means to look around. It's just like if you've ever purchased a brand new pair of shoes and you're wearing those shoes and you didn't want any kids to step on them, you didn't want to walk in the mud and you didn't want to puddles and so you're kind of walking making sure that you were avoiding anything that might make those shoes dirty that's what it means to walk circumspectly as followers of jesus that's how we should navigate the world in which we're living we're to walk circumspectly hey hey, uh, this might not be inherently sinful of itself but what road is it going to lead my kids down i want to walk circumspectly i want to walk with wisdom Uh, the, the question is not well is there anything wrong with it give me a verse for that An immature question is, is there anything wrong with it? A mature question is, is this the wise thing to do? And so we walk circumspectly. Now, today, as we close, we have a couple minutes left. But if you want to walk with wisdom in the world in which we're living, he's going to give us three ways to do it, and we'll be done. So three ways that we can walk with wisdom. First, redeem the time. Redeem the time. Notice what he says in verse 16. He says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Make the most of every opportunity that God gives you. Here's the reality today in the stillness of this room. We don't know how much time we have left. Life is short. James says, life is but a vapor. It appears for a little time, then it vanisheth away. We don't know. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know how much time we have left. And so if you wanna walk with wisdom, you live with eternity in mind. There's gotta be a sense of urgency about followers of Jesus, that we wake up and we recognize, I don't know how much time I have left, so I'm going to redeem the time. I'm going to make the most of every opportunity. I'm going to be in church, and I'm going to share my faith, and I'm going to do what God wants me to do, even if it's a temporary inconvenience, because it's nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. And so we redeem the time. But then he says this, redeem the time because the days are evil. The days are evil. And so here's a second way that we can, that we can walk in wisdom. We redeem the time, but then we reach the lost we reach the loss. Because Paul says, redeem the time, verse 16, because the days are evil. Now, that's not just a general statement about the wickedness that is pervasive in the world, because there's always wickedness in every generation. The the days are always evil in that sense. But what he's talking about here specifically to the church of Ephesus is that there were, there, there was going to be persecution that was heading their way. Redeem the time because the days are evil. He's saying there's persecution that's heading your way and there might be a limited opportunity for you to preach and share the gospel. And so do it while you still can. Do do the work of the Lord while it's still day because the night comes when no man can work. And so redeem the time because the days are evil. Spread the gospel while you still can. I believe that applies to us today. We need to preach the gospel and spread the gospel while we still can. Uh, There will come a day when we in the United States will be persecuted for what we believe. You might think, well, I don't know, we're kind of far away from that in Western culture, but believe me, it's happening all around the world today. Followers of Jesus that are being persecuted in some fashion or another because of what they believe. We have a window of opportunity in the United States where we can still freely share the good news of the gospel, and so we need to redeem the time while it is still day. (laughs) The days are evil, you know. If you were to travel to almost any part of the world today, 
almost any remote village, if you were to go to a remote village in the Philippines, if you go to a remote village in Africa, uh, pretty much anywhere that you will go, there's always one thing that typically you will find. Even if that village has no electricity, even if they have no running water, there's typically one thing that's always there. It's a can of Coca-Cola. And typically it's in a glass bottle because they're refillable. But you go to almost any remote village and what will they have? A glass of Coca-Cola, which I think is interesting because their mission statement says this. This is Coca-Cola's mission statement. To refresh the world and make a difference. To refresh the world and make a difference. And their distribution process is unparalleled. They're getting their product to the uttermost parts of the earth. And here's my question today. If Coca-Cola can do it for their product, how much more should we, for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, go to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth? Redeem the time while the days are evil. Hey, we have a job to do. We have a mission to fulfill. You say, well, I'll never go to those places. I'll never go to a remote village in the Philippines or Africa. But here is the truth today, that when we give generously to support missions, that goes to missionaries that we currently support in the Philippines and missionaries all around the world that we can continue to share the gospel. Why? Life is so, so short. Let's not live for temporary things. And so we redeem the time, we reach the loss. And then here's the third one, and we'll be done today. Remain faithful to God's will. Notice verse 17. It says this. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, here's some good news today. That verse tells us we can understand what the will of the Lord is. A lot of times we can be so spooky about God's will and we can turn God's will into something so mysterious and kind of abstract and how do we really know what God's will is. But can I tell you today that if you are interested in God's will for your life, the best way that you can know God's will is to know God's word. He says, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Romans 12, 2 says, and be not conformed to this world. In other words, don't be patterned after this world. Why? Because we're patterning our life after Jesus. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Can I just tell you something this morning, just to kind of ease the tension? God's will is not something to be feared. It's something to be enjoyed. You don't have to be scared of God's will. Sometimes people treat God's, God's will like it's, a, like it's an undesirable thing. Like if I commit to God's will, then I'm gonna have to give up fun. I'm gonna have to give up pleasure. And I'm gonna have to just give up all the things that I like to do. No, God's will is the best possible plan for your life. It's the greatest thing that you could ever experience is to be in the center of God's will. And so he says, don't be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, the overwhelming message of Ephesians chapter five is watch your step. And so we have to ask ourselves today as we close, are you walking in love? Are you walking in light? And are you walking in wisdom? Because our ultimate example is Jesus Christ. And guess what Jesus did when he was on earth? He walked in love. He walked in light. He's the light of the world. Light shine in darkness. The darkness cannot overcome him. He walked in light and he walked in wisdom. He grew in favor and stature uh, with God in men. And so today, are we becoming more and more like Jesus, emulating our lives after him? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.